Good afternoon, Prof. Can you hear us now? Hello. Hi there, Chilton. Thank, thank you for inviting me. The line is very, very soft. Uh, Prof, um, we'll just try to improve on that. Uh, but uh, if you can hear us better, much, much better now, um, if you can tell us that you can hear us better. Hi, Prof. Prof, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. It's just very softly. <laughs> Sorry, we, I don't know why I was talking earlier, but it was um, fine on the other line, but it's very, very soft. Oh, I think you are speaking to Lusanda, trying to get you uh, connected. Lusanda is our technical producer. Uh, we are live with you, Prof. Uh, one thing I can guarantee you, though, is that uh, we will try to raise our voice uh, for you to hear us. But uh, a guarantee from our side is that the listeners at home uh, can hear you nice and crisp. Okay, great. So, um, and my apologies if I miss you. I'll do my best. 100%. Thanks so much, Prof. I think before we go into uh, understanding some of the main findings of this paper and, you know, what contributions it can have uh, towards the overall uh, literature, I think first first things first, I think I want to understand, Prof. I was just discussing with Vusi here in the studio, the funding model for the basic income grant. Um, but before we can go to that, if you can just maybe briefly explain to us what, uh, for, user, for, for listeners who may not be aware, what uh, the basic income grant is, and then maybe just move on to the funding model of, of this basic income grant. Okay, so, so let me just repeat what I, what I heard you, you asking about um, what is the basic income grant? Yes, yes. That's, that's and the yeah. second part. And the second part is uh, just to understand uh, the funding of this uh, basic income grant because we were just discussing that obviously we've got a shrinking tax base um, and obviously a growing unemployment rate. Um, so obviously more people will rely on the basic income grant. So we just wanted to understand the, the funding of um, how this basic income grant would then be basically funded. Okay, right, thanks. Okay, I think that's it. So, the, the, if we're going to think about a government um, budget and being in consolidated terms. So, it's not necessarily the case that um, the government or the National Treasury was, was figuring out a way um, to fund this in a sort of balanced budget way, you know. But what we do when we, when we analyze and when we think about this, is that we we ask ourselves in a, in a sort of sense how would this be funded? So, if we raise taxes, that or PIT or corporate income tax, or we accumulate more debt, um, how would this affect the the sort of the gap in the budget that's being filled now? How will this affect the economy? So, it's not except there's an explicit um, funding arrangement that goes to that, that, that's explicitly matched to a basic income grant. So, I mean, if we go back and we think, you know, the SRD was uh, the social relief of the stores grant during COVID was was implemented, and it wasn't that there was okay. Now we're going to um, raise taxes or do something else to fund this. Obviously, then they went to the market and and they would need to accumulate more debt here. But it's on a consolidated basis. Um, then what happened was that effectively, which is what we were sort of discussing in the paper at the time, that um, what happened was uh, the SRD effectively just got extended. Right? Which starts to look like a 
not necessarily a universal basic income grant, which is on the one side, that's one where everyone gets a, a, a fixed amount. Um, it's more of a targeted one. But obviously in South Africa, you have many, many, many potential uh, recipients of this sort of uh, grant. Um, and then that SRD then gets extended. It's obviously, it's below the food poverty line. And we looked at certain scenarios, sort of different sort of scenarios, whatever it's at the food poverty line or whatever it's at the upper bound line. Um, but we used the food poverty line as sort of just a, a benchmarking exercise. Mm. So, yeah, on the one hand, it's not that it's explicitly decided on what is going to, quote, unquote, fund this. We, we have to think about this in a consolidated uh, view. Um, but when we think about what needs to happen, because obviously the government needs to have a balanced book, or at least needs to, you know, balance its 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 um, its cash flows into the future, right? So if they're short, they need to borrow, or they need to eventually raise taxes. Mm. So we look at these sort of alternative scenarios to see how it might affect the economy and then feed back into the the um, um, decision making. That, that individuals or firms make. Prof, uh, th- thanks for that. This is Vusi um, uh, with Sabelo here. Uh, I just wanted to check, Prof. I mean, social grants have been um, with us at least. Uh, I mean, since the democratic dispensation in 1994, um, they are not new to us. We have a child support grant, old age grant, and a whole mm-hmm. lot of grants. And now there seems to be a bit of resistance or noise made around the BIG, which is the Basic Income Grant. Why is this noise or why is this um, sudden concern around grants at this particular moment in time? Yes, I mean, and that's a good question. I think this is exactly what this particular paper and its contribution to literature is what it makes. It says, look, you have many people in very difficult circumstances. We are one of the most unequal societies in the world. We have high um, amounts of poverty. And then throw on top of this, we have structurally weak economic growth. And throw on top of this, we have a high risk premium for borrowing in our government. Mm. Um, and then throw on top of this, you have, you have COVID. So what's, what's critical here is to think about the trade-offs. I mean, essentially, this is what economists are sort of beaten into, into thinking about uh, through their training is, is to think about the, the trade-offs. And the big trade-off here is, yes, in the short run or in the medium run, you can alleviate the plight of the poor and uh, uh, provide, you know, uh, grants, cash, or other sorts of uh, government services for free. Um, but on the other hand, the government needs to be fiscally sustainable, which, which is a longer-term uh, concept. So, you have this political economy problem, right, where um, maybe election cycles are every four years, and there's a lot of pressure to uh, do these sort of short-run, low-hanging fruits um, 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 to, to the people, right? So you can extend grants, and that's, uh, and that's something that you, can, you, know, you might want to implement, um, and that you don't have to worry about it in the next four or eight years or even 12 years. But what really starts to happen is that if you get push yourself too far, you can become fiscally unsustainable, and then you would require a very large adjustment um, to correct this this unsustainable path. 
Um, and what COVID basically did, this, and this big global recession that followed, is, is really brought that longer-term concern about the sustainability of the fiscus. It brought it forward, right? So it wasn't so much a discussion about um, whether or not people should get grants and, and how, you know, what is the best way to create jobs, etc. Um, just on its own, we have to think very carefully about the sustainability of the of, of the fiscus and the really the, the real likelihood that you end up not necessarily in a sovereign default situation, but a sovereign debt restructuring, where you're unable to to um, meet the commitments. Um, and then it gets quite technical because you have sort of a different redemption rates of government debt. And what the big issue now, and you know, I'm not sure how many people are aware of this, but there's a lot of redemptions coming up very soon in the next few years that needs to be refinanced. So when you're coupling all this together with a high-risk premium, uh, a very sort of high-risk aversion in the global economy, um, yeah, you really are in a tight, tight spot. So it becomes important to weigh the, the, the um, pros and cons of both sides. Thanks for that, Prof. I think you speak about the different election cycles and, you know, um, the unsustainability of various models. But um, I just want to understand, uh, does does this model consider uh, the various shocks that may be experienced within a five-year period? And you also speak about um, uh, the refinancing of this, uh, of of, of PIG. Um, uh, what is the possibility of uh, the different outcomes with, in relation to that um, in a scenario where, you know, it doesn't get refinanced, in a scenario where it does get financed? So just take us through that, Prof. Okay, I didn't catch the last part, but I think I got you there on, on whether or not um, consider different shocks that may be experienced in the next five years. Yes. Um, and then um, he talked about the sort of refinancing approach. So we don't explicitly capture any, like, these sort of redemption problems. I mean, that, that in this model. The model is a very, very large macroeconomic model. Um, and what you need to try to do is you need to try to look at things in isolation. So you would look at one shock, um, for example, and then what we say is hold everything else constant. But you want to look at one shock. You want to see on the margin what happens to the to the path of the economy when we experience this shock. Um, you can build in other shocks that come in, but then it gets quite tricky and can be quite difficult to sort of tease out um, uh, what's happening. So what are the dynamics? But you can look at them separately. But the main shock, the main event, let's so to speak, that we look at, is I don't maybe use the term shock because it might uh, just elicit various different uh, images in this one. But we look at one particular scenario. We're looking at a scenario where there's a permanent increase in um, transfers by government, um, and we look at universal. So it also gets a little bit into the model where we only have two different types of households in this model. One that can access assets and financing, and others that only uh, can consume out of their wage income and whatever transfers they get. So we look at sort of a, a universal grant scenario, and we look at a targeted one, where we target only those um, households that don't have access to finance, the so-called poorer households. Um, and 
we look at those two scenarios, and we first could go to show, so I might just add in you know, some of the, you know, the main findings. It might be obvious, and I think, <laughs> just to sort of segue in there briefly, is that a lot of these, our findings are sort of obvious to many people, but let's, but what people say, I think what, what people forget, what I, what I realized in this sort of big discussions came, is that you've got very strong ideological camps on both sides, you know? The fiscal sustainability was more conservative types and the um, more you know liberal types that are on the on the other side and, and it's and it's not you don't need to worry at all about fiscal sustainability as long as government can uh, issue debt in its own currency, there's nothing to worry about and it, we must, you know, basically open the printing press. So <laughs> between those two extremes it was you know, it's not so obvious. You talk to the one, and it's obvious. The one group, it's obvious. Uh, and the way they are, it's obvious. Why did you spend so much time on us? You speak to the other group, and they would disagree. Hmm. So we first looked at the universal versus target, and what was nice and good to show you is that it, the grant is much more effective when it's targeted. That's why. Then, uh, then we look at this now where, okay, but now what if this grant is permanent? And it lasts for five years. And there's a, very, there's a specific reason for this, and it's getting to what you're asking about different sort of shocks and what other things then happen in the future. And that's very difficult to tell. But um, for those who are interested, they can go look at the paper, and I'll encourage the uh, audience or whoever's listening to go also look at the working paper that's available and also Economic Research South Africa because it's much longer. So the final published paper is very short, much shorter, about a quarter of the length. There's much more sort of meat and discussion that goes into the longer working paper version. Um, and you can you can use the model and the context that you're providing to um, consider well if you're on this path. And what we see is that even at the three poverty line, the permanent grant, you are um, having crowding out effects. So growth is lower. You are crowding out private consumption investment. You need the higher taxes. We looked at different funding options, but basically. Um, it, it's, a, it's a net contractionary effect on the economy. Mm. And if you're in that environment, you can then ask yourself, well, look, if you're in that environment and it's something like another pandemic or um, uh, you know, even just any sort of scenario where there's a risk of scenario uh, on emerging markets or South Africa is in a far more vulnerable position if we're considering that everything else is unchanged. On the other side, good things can happen, right? Imagine the global economy turns around, China starts growing again, you know, we have, I think, 60 countries are having elections this year, virtually they all turn out on the good side, and maybe things turn around. Well, then it wouldn't matter as much, right? We could effectively grow ourselves out of the problem, because the global economy is doing well. And I think that's really what's important is to sort of Isolate what's happening. What is the main question? If we extend grants permanently, and we only look at this five-year horizon, and then there's technical aspects here, why? But I think that's fine to put aside. We just look at this five-year horizon, and then you can see what the projection is going to look like. And then in that context, you can then, you know, infer, okay, um, what would likely happen, or what kind of position are we in, given sort of other scenarios? Mm. I mean, I hope that that sort of satisfies the answer, the, 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 like really specific. So another maybe important thing to remember here. So as mentioned, there's, there's other papers that looked at this, and they were typically more microeconomic studies at the time. Um, 
and then they might infer something about the macroeconomic effects. It's quite dangerous to do um, uh, because of the, you don't capture important feedback mechanisms. You can't necessarily mm-hmm. just scale things up. But it's effectively yeah. goes from micro, from the from the micro up. Yeah. What the macroeconomic model does, and this particular model, this dynamic stochastic general equilibrium model, we use the mm-hmm. so-called microeconomic foundations to define how households or firms will make decisions. Yeah. Um, and this model is internally consistent. Okay? Yeah. And then from that, you're looking from the top down. Mm-hmm. So you have these sort of what's called representative agents. I mean, there are some decisions of this type of approach, but by and large, this is sort of, um, it's a very, if you do it right, it's a yeah. very robust, a very um, useful tool to think about policy um, yeah. um, going forward because it incorporates important feedback effects. It incorporates um, people's expectations yeah. you know, in, the, in, the, in the model framework uh, and it incorporates explicitly if government changes their behavior, um, how does this feed into the economy and how does this feed back into government's behavior? So you get this sort of internal uh, uh, equilibrium flow. Yes, yes, yes. Speaking to us, of course, is Professor Hilton Hollander, an associate professor at the Stellenbosch University, speaking to the paper titled The Macroeconomics of Establishing a Basic Income Grant in South Africa. We'll take a short break, and right after the break, we'll continue our conversation and wrap up with uh, Prof. Hollander right after this. This is K.O. Mr. Cash Time for the Fall Life, and right now you are checking out Ubuntu Radio. Let's go. This is the agenda on Ubuntu Radio with Dalimunjezi. Can we imagine a world without the United Nations? It will be difficult to have a world without the United Nations. Now more than ever, diplomacy is needed. Multilateralism is needed. The world is facing so many challenges, some of them that bears common and shared responsibility. Coming together in an objective platform that is also devoid of any attachment to a particular member state. So makes the United Nations very, very significant. The agenda on Ubuntu Radio, Monday to Friday, 6 to 9 a.m. Central African Time. Ubuntu Radio, to Radio, South Africa's public diplomacy in action. You can engage with us if you want to do so on the social media platforms. Hashtag the Midday Conversation. Otherwise, uh, do give us a call on 012329-2239. That is uh, 012-329-2239. Uh, Prof, thank you so much for staying with us. Yes, thank you. You're welcome, Prof. Uh, Prof, we're just going to have just one or two more questions and uh, off we're going to let you go. My question to you, Prof, is uh, building to what you've spoken about um, and particularly the funding part of the social grants, BIG in uh, particular. We have child support grant recipients, right, who are getting paid every month by the government. And they do so until they are 18, right? Um, now they graduate, and they, in their graduation from this grant, there are two possibilities. One, it's either they'll be employed and they'll be 
self-sustainable or self-independent. Or mm. two, they'll be unemployed and they have to get a grant. Now let's assume it's 50-50. They do get uh, continue staying on the government support and let's assume they do uh, get employment. Don't you think in that instance we the grant could be sustainable given that children will be offloaded from the system and will have few recipients on the child side and just a few adding on the BIG. Okay, uh, thanks. I, I got most of that. I just missed again the last part. Um, but I think I, I got the gist there that you're talking about the child support grant recipients and then when they're no longer eligible at 18 and then when they're transitioning and sort of where, do they go into the job market or do they sort of stay on the ground system. Is that sort of what you're asking? That's correct. So what I want to find out is, let's assume that in the future, I'm not sure what your projections are are showing us, but let's assume that in the future, you have 50% chance that these 18-year-olds that are no longer recipients of the grants are working, and on the other hand, 50% of them are still reliant on the grant and they become the BIG recipients. In that instant... Don't you think the BIG is something that is sustainable? Okay, well, it's a good question. We don't. This is a a very good question. Okay, so I think this is interesting to think about. I haven't thought about that sort of transition and sort of at an individual level, how does that change the decision-making of an individual? Mm. You know, if they they knew that they were receiving a child grant and when they're no longer eligible and they're sort of on the job market, especially with our extremely, uh, ridiculously high youth unemployment mm-hmm. rate, very few opportunities. You know, geez, you could be so despondent that you maybe don't care or whatever. So, I, again, that, I, that's, it's, it's, it's not something that's me. It's quite hard to, I can't just off the top think about how we think about that. But um, I think that's a very good question. We don't, that's a microeconomic question. And, and I think my, some of my colleagues at work would be able to maybe give a very much better answer there. Um, we don't explicitly capture this sort of scenario. Again, as I was mentioning, we talk from the top down, like a macro down. So we're looking at the total amount of transfers as a share of you know, GDP or the government's budget, and we, we, we're, we're expanding that, um, that, that whole amount. Um, so we can't distinguish between sort of those individual decisions that take place, but I think... <laughs> I, I, must, I, don't, I want to be very careful about sort of making any influences here without knowing. I sure. just think it's actually, you put your finger on a very good question. Um, this is not something that we, that we explicitly uh, uh, looked at. It's something I think I might go, I'm going to go ask some of my <laughs> colleagues mm. if they know a little bit about this because I think it's quite a, a nice, um, it's, a, it's a good question because it might answer some of, the, 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 the arguments that take place in, in the lit, in, like in the public as well in literature, you know, for example, the, the classic one is sort of um, that reservation wage that if you give a minimum wage uh, to people with similar to the basic minimum grant, um, then there will be many people that just won't go and work. And there's been papers on both sides that show that it's, that, it's, that, it's, that it's not true and others that it is true. But this is sort of getting too far out of my field of expertise. Yeah, absolutely, Prof. I think in totality, um, what we've been discussing here, what we've been capturing from you is that BIG basically aims to alleviate poverty, inequality, and unemployment. I think in closing, Prof, I think if you can just capture for us really quickly uh, that what are some of the solutions that you have explored outside 
um, of the proposed solutions in the paper to combat this uh, this this triple challenge of poverty, inequality, and unemployment. Oh, well, that's the that's the, the holy grail right there. Um, I, I, you know, we've had many discussions of this uh, about this, and you know, um, again, I'm an, I'm an academic. I can I do the research and then sort of I, I talk with the policymakers. I mean, at the end of the day, we require structurally higher growth. Like, that, that is it. We need, uh, and I mean, these are buzzwords, uh, and there's no easy solution. You know, we can talk about inclusive growth, or growth enhancing reforms that crowd in the private sector. Um, it's, well, like, you, you ask solutions outside of the paper. I mean, I, I, I don't know what easy solutions they are. I mean, we, we have the obvious ones. Um, of the energy constraints, right? So you, you can't grow if you don't have electricity, energy. Yeah. Economies, modern economies operate on energy. We need energy. Um, and we cannot grow without that. So I think mean, that's just an obvious one that needs to be fixed, right? Yeah. Um, but I think there are things, there is scope for, 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 for governments to, to um, if they can credibly or commit to big infrastructure projects um, and even expanding employment programs. I mean, I, I wouldn't be against those sorts of things in the short term to, to sort of, it's a building towards something. But at the end of the day, government needs to do what they can do best. Yeah. And that's providing the infrastructure, both soft and hard, right? So, um, and, and, and fixing the sort of electricity constraints that we have. I mean, I don't, I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel here. There's no magic silver bullet. You're not a big, um, like, I think we're on and waffling on here. <laughs> but I mean, there's not going to be some major, like, uh, information technology communication, like revolution, the fourth industrial revolution in South Africa is going to now. Mm. We are not in a position to leverage this. It's our labor, our labor costs are relatively higher than other countries, so we can't compete in the sort of labor intensive side. Right. We don't have the technical skills and we know how to compete on the on the um, sort of further down the, the, the supply chain and you know, moving away from raw materials primary and uh, goods and agriculture. So we have a massive skills problem and we have this massive um, uh, energy problem. Um, and I think those are the learning fruits. Mm. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just need to do what we should be doing as best as we can. And I don't know, it comes to a political economy problem. Um, and my biggest fear is that we run out of time. I'm an optimistic person, but yeah. uh, it's, 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 it's tough. You know, I stay hopeful, but it's tough when you, you're not seeing the sort of change and, and I think what, what people don't realize and what I'm really upset with the government hasn't done is to be honest about this sort of timeline. Yeah. When you have an education skills problem, it's going to take two decades yeah. to sort of get out of that. They, you know, the people, the current young adults, they are not going to see those employment and income gains yeah. until the next generation. Um, and, it's, and how do you communicate that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's really, really difficult, and, and, and yeah, it gets you better up uh, of, right. of power. Yeah, uh, but I think that's the biggest challenge: is it properly communicating so people know the expectations, understand 
but it's going to be a long and pretty tough road ahead. There's no silver bullets, um, and you really need to just do get the things right that we currently have set up. We're not going to transform this economy mm. anytime soon. Now. Um, yeah, we we'll leave it like that. Uh, uh, <laughs> but hopefully not too much on the town. <laughs> thank you for your for your time. A long time, a tough journey ahead. Uh, that's correct. Uh, that was a uh, prof Helton Hollander, an extraordinary uh, associate professor at Stellenbosch University down in the Western Cape uh, province. Uh, prof, thank you once again. Uh, we can't express enough uh, how grateful we are uh, for you to join us, take your time, and share some of the findings and the work that you've done on this. Uh, you call it the big paper. Uh, literally, it is a big paper. Thank you, uh, prof for your time thank you very much for inviting me it's a pleasure pleasure is all ours prof have yourself a great day and that again was a prof Halton Hollander an extraordinary associate professor at Stellenbosch University uh, we will cross to our recent economy